Well, good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt. I'm a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church, and I want to welcome you uh, to another installment in our series on prayer. If you were with us last week, you're going, I thought you were wrapping it up last week. Uh, and we, after we uh, met as a, a leadership team this last week, we decided how silly would this be to end a series on prayer when we have a 4th of July weekend that we're finishing up, and we haven't even taken time to pray for our nation. And that would be silly, because the Bible has a lot to say about Christians praying for those in authority. So inside your bulletin, you will find an outline where I'm headed today. And today, we're going to talk about praying for our nation. That's important to do. And what really inspired this was the whole discussion that we had, just to, uh, I had with some of the staff and things. We are many times, uh, you and I can go around to people's houses, have a place for dinner. We'll have dinner with people, and the subject of our nation and where we're headed, or politics will come up, and we'll have discussions you might have a discussion with a friend online, or you read a lot of posts on Facebook or other things that, where people are angry about the direction our government is going over one issue or another. Uh, but the question is this, how often do we stop and pray? Here's another question for you. When's the last time, after a discussion about an issue uh, facing our government or about one of our leaders, that somebody said to you, hey, can we stop and pray for him or her? Can we stop and pray for that issue? Would you come over to my house Tonight, we can have a prayer meeting about that. Well, most of us will go, well, I don't know if that's ever happened. Well, you'll be comforted to know the Bible has a lot to say. God's word has a lot to say about how we're supposed to pray for our leaders and things we can pray about. And today, I'd like to share a few of those things with you. So let me have a word of prayer for us right now, and we'll jump right in. Heavenly Father, I thank you for a holiday weekend. I thank you, Lord, for our nation. I thank you, Lord, for your word which guides us in all matters of faith and practice and even tells us how we can pray for our leaders and pray for our country. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of a few things today. You'd open our minds to some things we need to learn today so we can pray better. We can be better citizens as Christians and much better at praying for our country than we've been in the past. I pray these things, Lord. I ask that you'd speak and move me out of the way and say whatever you once said to us this morning in the name of Jesus the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Well, if you need a pen to fill in the blanks in your outline, just raise your hand. If you didn't grab a pen on the way in, then we can take some notes as well. And I hope this will be a, a, something that will be very helpful to all of us. But the first point in your outline, I've got three things I'd like to say about praying for our nation. You could probably have 33 things from the Bible, but these are three that came to my mind. First of all, you and I, if we're going to pray for our country, we need to give thanks more often than we do. We need to give thanks. We live in a country where we are blessed. If you have not traveled outside the U.S. recently or uh, been to many other places in the world, there are a lot of things to be grateful for here in the U.S. of A. We have a lot of wonderful things that we're blessed with. Ephesians 5.20 reminds us, And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also wrote to the Thessalonians, Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. It's God's will that we be thankful. It's God's will that we give thanks. And I know we have a Thanksgiving Day set up in November every year, but we can give thanks more than once a year. And even on that day, we talk about football and eat a lot of turkey, but even then we don't give thanks. It would seem right when we're celebrating our nation's birthday to give thanks for our many blessings. So I made a list of uh, six or seven things here uh, that, I am, that I often take for granted, and maybe you do too. First of all, our freedoms, the freedom, our freedom of speech, our freedom of religion, our freedom to assemble. Do you know this morning we can, uh, we can send out 
Facebook notices. We can put things on the internet. We can make a phone call to people and say, hey, come over to, uh, to join us for worship at Centerpoint. We have, hey, we're here at the Marriott Legends in Prattville. We're at the Jim Wilson YMCA in Montgomery. We've got opportunities to worship the Lord at multiple sites at the same time. We can even invite friends. We can publicly tell people we're going to go worship God. There are other places in the world today where Christians are huddled in secret. They can't let people know because they could lose their jobs. In some places, they could lose their lives. And you and I, many times, we don't even say thank you for that. I mean, we have incredible opportunities here and great freedoms. We can give thanks to God for our Christian heritage, our churches, our pastors, evangelists, those who helped us know God. I mean, it's wonderful to read some of the things written by Lincoln or Washington, where they give thanks to Almighty God for our nation, and they remind us to pray for our country. And there are many people who have blessed us in the past, and have we thanked God for them. A lot of times I don't. I just kind of take it for granted. That's the way it always is. It's not that way for everybody in the world, and we need to be grateful. We thank God for our school teachers and educators who've helped us reach our fullest potential, a coach or a school teacher, somebody who dedicated their life to teaching young men and women, didn't make a ton of money, never became famous, but had a great impact on us. Have we thanked God for them? Our policemen, our firefighters, our first responders in crisis. I had a friend riding with me not that long ago, and we passed an accident scene. And as we were passing by and looking at it, and there were EMTs out there, a fire truck, there was a couple of police, a state trooper car, and some other things out there, and lights were flashing. And I said, can we just pray for them? We prayed for the rescue workers, and we gave thanks for them. And as we drove on, the person said, you know, I hate to tell you this, but I've never done that before in my life. I've never given thanks for the people there. I don't know why not. He said, in fact, every time I pass a state trooper on the highway, I'm always slow, slamming on the brakes. <laughs> you know, isn't that all too true? Lord, thank you for those people, but not right now. <laughs> and maybe we can be thankful for them. We've got to be thankful for our hospitals, our skilled doctors, our nurses and technicians. When I go to hospitals and I pray with people and, they've, and they're in recovery or they're headed into surgery, one of the things I always make sure to do is to say, hey, thank you, Lord, for your many blessings. Uh, I was on a mission trip a number of years ago in another country and I got a bad infection and went to a hospital there. And it was not up to standards in the United States. And I was never so glad to get back, to get back home. I won't take our health care for granted anymore. Our prosperity and material blessings, our right to own property and choose our own careers. You know, in some countries, that's not possible. And we take that for granted here. We give thanks for that. We should give thanks for that. Our dedicated military personnel protect our freedoms and families and property. All these things we've mentioned, there are people deployed this morning. Iraq, Afghanistan, other places around the world. In harm's way. And they're doing it to protect us. And all too often, we just go through our daily lives, and we never even give thanks for those things. And for those people who are protecting us and laying down their lives. These are a few things to give thanks for. The Bible tells us we should, and I hope this is a helpful list for you and me. Because maybe you're like me when you look at this list and go, man, I don't, I don't thank God for that stuff very often at all, if ever. But we should. 
In a few minutes, together, we will. We'll have some prayer time together. So on this 4th of July weekend, if we're going to pray for our nation, the first thing we can do is we give thanks for all the things we have. And you could add 25 more things to this list. This isn't exhaustive. These are just some things that I need to do better at giving thanks for. I mean, uh, but the second thing we can do is we can pray for our leaders. We can pray for our leaders. Scripture is very clear on this point as well. I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. And please underline that, so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. And that brings us to the note in your outline. God has established governmental authorities to maintain order, to maintain order and punish wrongdoers. The role of government is to do that. To ensure domestic tranquility and provide for the common defense. That's the government's job. And if the government is ensuring our domestic tranquility and providing for the common defense, then we can... Then this morning, I could sit out on my back porch and read the Bible with my dog and have a cup of coffee, and it was peaceful and quiet. Or you and I could invite some friends over and grill some hot dogs and go watch a fireworks show, and everybody leave us alone. That's a wonderful thing. And there are people in the world who know nothing of that. The government is there to do those things. Paul wrote about this in Romans 13. He said, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against, the author against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. Rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. You want to be free from your fear of the one in authority? Then do what's right, and he'll commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, then be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it's necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, because of, but because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, then pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, if honor, and you could add, and if you need to pray for him, then pray for him. Well, of course you and I should. If we honor and respect our authorities and we believe that, hey, God has put people in positions of authority to maintain order so we can live peaceful and quiet, godly lives and carry out the mission that God has for us, well, then we need to pray for those leaders. And that's why Paul says, hey, Timothy, pray this way for kings and all those in authority. God put them in authority to maintain order. You ought to pray that they'll do a good job. But all too often we grumble about people in authority and pray. We grumble a lot and pray very little. And that brings us to a note in our outline. God expects us to pray for our leaders, even those we don't like. I'm not going to pray for him. I'm not going to pray for her. I didn't vote for her. I didn't vote for him. Forget that. I'll pray for the next guy. I'll pray they'll get out of office. That's what I'll pray. <laughs> we can pray all kinds of things like that, or we can say stuff like that, but listen to what Jesus said. Now, you've heard the law of Moses says, love your neighbor 
hate your enemy, but I say, and this is Jesus to his disciples, but I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you'll be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. That doesn't sound like you're only supposed to pray for the people who you vote for. Doesn't sound that way to me. Because it's not. Do you know that when Paul wrote Timothy and said, hey, pray for all people, ask God to help them, pray this way for kings and those in authority, he was writing that while Nero was emperor in Rome. When Rome burned down in A.D. 64, Nero blamed it on the Christians. He needed a scapegoat, and he blamed it on the Christians. There was great persecution that broke out after that. Christians were butchered, sometimes fed to the lions in the Colosseum, ostracized, persecuted. And that's right about the time when Paul was writing all this to Timothy. An emperor that he could never vote for, an emperor that was going after Christians, and he said, Timothy, pray for him. Well, why would you pray for a person like that? Well, you and I should especially pray for people who are going the wrong way and persecuting Christians. You pray that God will change them and touch their hearts. If we only pray for the people who are doing what's right, well, the people who are doing what's wrong, they especially need our prayers. On the back of your insert, by the way, you'll find a list of all of our national leaders. And you can pray for them by name. I hope that you'll keep this. You can put it on your refrigerator. You could keep it in your Bible. You can keep it somewhere handy. Um, but if you want to pray for name by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs or our U.S. senators or U.S. representatives or any of the people that are in the president's cabinet or our Supreme Court justices, here's how you pray for them by name. It's a list, and I hope you and I will keep it handy. If you flip your outline over, in the Old Testament, the prophet Samuel uh, was ordered, well, the people demanded that Samuel give them a king like all the other nations had. Israel had never had a king before. God was their king. And the Lord told Samuel, go ahead and give them what they want. So God chose for them a man named Saul. He was handsome and head and shoulders taller than anybody else, looked like a king. But he wasn't a man of godly character. And when it came time to obey the Lord, he didn't follow the Lord's commands. And so one day the Lord spoke to Samuel and said this. This is from 1 Samuel 15. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm sorry that I ever made Saul king, for he's not been loyal to me and he's refused to obey my command. Samuel was so deeply moved that he just went and voted for somebody else. No. Samuel was so deeply moved that when he heard this, he cried out to the Lord all that night. I mean, what would happen to you and me? Samuel was so deeply moved, he got on Twitter and wrote a really nasty tweet. He was so deeply moved, he ordered a picket. Now, is it wrong for Christians to ever speak out on social media? No, I'm not saying that at all. Don't hear that. But when do we pray? When do we pray? When Samuel was distressed, he didn't sleep all night. Oh, God, this is the man you put in charge, and now he's going the wrong way. Oh, God, I'm pleading for him. Please change his heart. Now, why would he do that? Well, Proverbs 21.1 reminds us, the king's heart is like a stream of water directed by the Lord. He guides it wherever he pleases. Do you and I honestly believe that Jesus can come into people's hearts? Do we honestly believe the Holy Spirit can convict us of sin? Do we honestly believe people can change? Let me say it another way. If you believe that God can change 
stubborn sinners into repentant people, would you say amen? Amen. I hope you believe that because a bunch of us are stubborn sinners that that happened to. I mean, God changes the hearts of stubborn sinners like me and you. Now, why on earth can't he change the heart of stubborn sinners who happen to be in office? Oh, well, he'll never change. She'll never change. Give up on him. Give up on her. Give up on them. No sense praying for them. Really? I was greatly encouraged about a month ago. A fellow walked up to me. I was wearing one of these Centerpoint shirts. and uh, I was at a Chamber of Commerce meeting in Montgomery. And a fellow walked up to me and said, hey, I just want you to know, I, give, I just want to thank God for your church. And I said, well, and he said, I don't go to your church, but I thank God for it. And I said, well, why? And he goes, because a relative of mine, my mom and I have been praying for him for a long time, close to 20 years. And for whatever reason now, God has reached out to him, and he's involved in your church, and I'm just glad you guys are there. We've been praying that God would change his heart, and apparently God has. You mean God changes hearts? You bet he does. If I didn't believe that, then how on earth could I be of any help to somebody who comes in and they've been an alcoholic for, since whenever they can remember? Oh, well, God can't change you. Sorry for you. That stinks. That's not what we say. We say, hey, you come to Jesus. God can change anyone. He can forgive any sin. Would you and I be willing to pray that way for our president, vice president, Supreme Court justices, senators, representatives? Or do we just give up and say, if we don't vote for them, if we don't like what they're doing, ah, give up? Or will we pray? Well, what would you pray for? Well, here are a few things again. You and I could pray for wisdom and guidance and good counsel. They listen to somebody. Willingness to listen to God and hunger for his word. It would do you good to spend some time just Google entries from Washington and Lincoln and other people who read the Bible every single day. And you and I can pray that, hey, our leaders will read the Bible. Center point, we believe that reading the Bible will change people's lives. And I, I love God's word. It speaks to me every day. It'll speak to you too. It'll speak to our president. It'll speak to our Supreme Court justices. It'll speak to our senators and representatives. It'll speak to the joint chiefs. The Bible will speak to whoever reads it. I believe it. Why wouldn't we pray for that? So they can make godly decisions. We could pray for fairness and justice and courage to do the right thing. Imagine the incredible political pressure on our leaders. Humility and willingness to listen to people they represent. Protection from evil and temptations that come with power. Power can corrupt, and the more power you have, the more it can corrupt you. Vigilance to restrain evil, stand against the enemies of our nation and the enemies of the gospel. I mean, remember, Paul told Timothy, hey, Timothy, when you pray, pray for it that we can live peaceful and quiet lives. And that was so that you could carry out the work of the gospel, because that's why we're here. In fact, that brings us to our next point. We not only can pray for our leaders, we can pray for spiritual awakening. We can pray for spiritual awakening, that God would move in our country. I mean, we can wring our hands and worry about where our country's headed, or we can pray that God will call people to himself. Here's the rest of that paragraph. 
When you pray for the leaders, Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. For there is only one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Christ Jesus. He gave his life to purchase freedom for everyone, and this is the message God gave to the world at just the right time. Timothy, pray for peace. Pray for tranquility. Pray for a good economy so you're able to travel and spread the gospel. God wants all men to know about Jesus. I mean, we shouldn't just pray for our leaders that will do a good job so we can make a ton of money and hoard it for ourselves. We should pray that our leaders will do a good job so we can live in peace and quiet and we can invite our friends to church. We can share with them the scriptures. We can talk to them openly and freely about how the Bible applies to their lives. This is what we pray for. And we need to pray for protection for our rights. And we need to pray for our men and women in government that they'll stand up for those things so we can tell people about Christ who wants all men to be saved. And here are a couple of things we can pray for along the lines of spiritual awakening. We can ask God to forgive our sins and turn our nation toward him. We live in a, we're a very blessed nation. We talked about that before, but we have a lot of sin in our nation as well. Godliness makes a nation great, Proverbs 14 says, 1434, but sin is a disgrace to any people. Godliness makes a nation great. Sin is a disgrace. Second Chronicles 7, the Lord tells us, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn, and if you'd circle the word turn there again, turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. We pray that we'd seek God in our country. Is that a prayer request of ours, or do we just shake our heads? Ugh, this country's going to pot. This country's falling apart. Mm-mm. Or do we pray that God would turn us toward him, toward his word? We can do more than shake our heads. We can pray for spiritual awakening. This is good and pleases God when we do that. He likes it when we pray that way. Paul also wrote to Timothy these words. If you want to know what you would pray for, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, look, Timothy, in the last days, there will be difficult times. People love only themselves and their money. They'll be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. They'll consider nothing sacred. They'll be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They'll be cruel and they will hate what is good. They'll betray their friends. They'll be reckless, puffed up with pride. They'll love pleasure rather than God. They'll act religious, but they'll reject the power that can make them godly. Hmm. Do any of those things resonate with our culture? You bet they do. If you go, well, John, that was talking about in the last days. We may well be living in the last days. That would be a good reason to pray. We should pray. God, turn us. Turn us from our pride. Turn us from our rebellion. Turn us from being unloving and unforgiving and ungrateful. Turn us from a sham religion that looks godly but denies its power. Turn us away from that. Help us follow you. So 
So we can pray that God will turn our nation toward him. We're praying for spiritual awakening. We can also pray that Christians will thoughtfully live out our faith. As Christians, we will thoughtfully live out our faith. Paul to the Ephesians again. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. I mean, if we're living in a culture where those things are happening, he says, hey, don't don't do that. Instead, expose them. It's shameful to even talk about the things that only ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. I mean, we're praying for spiritual awakening, that people will wake up. And Christ will give you light. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. This is written to us. This is written to Christians. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, and underline that, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. We're not supposed to act thoughtlessly. We're supposed to act thoughtfully. Let's think about this. And you and I can pray about this. Lord, I'm living in a culture where many people don't believe in you, where many people don't read your Bible at all. I'm living in a culture where people are full of pride and indulge in all all kinds of sin. I'm living in a culture where our government seems to be heading the wrong way on many issues that are key to our faith. And God, how do I respond to that? You and I need to think about this. We do well to read some good Christian articles and Christian books. We would do well to listen to what our friends are saying and to give some time to prayer and say, God, help me thoughtfully respond. I want to represent you well. I want to stand for what's right, but I don't want to be a jerk about it. Nor do I want to be a coward just because I don't like conflict. I want to be a Christian. Would you show me how to have a good answer? This is what God wants us to do. And we need to be thoughtful. And that brings us to our last point, or the last note here. One person praying can make a big difference. One person praying can make a big difference. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. And we need to be praying. Don't give up because you don't get answers right away. And don't be discouraged because, wow, this seems like a difficult time. I was talking to somebody not that long ago, and they said, oh, it's just so hard to be a Christian these days. And I go, I know. If we could just live in the late 60s and early 70s when Vietnam was going on, it was so easy to be a Christian then. And, or if we could just live in the 30s and the 40s, you know, World War II and Hitler and all that, that was a great and easy time to be a Christian. Or maybe during the Civil War, great time to be a Christian in America when brothers were killing brothers. Man, it was awesome and easy. Or maybe during the Revolutionary War, when a government was just being established and nobody knew exactly how this thing would turn out. Piece of cake to be a Christian then. They went, well, that wasn't where I was going with this. (laughs) I I know. But you and I can write all this stuff off and say, man, the Christians in the past had it so easy. Did they? They needed to pray for the challenges of their time, and we need to pray for the challenges of our time. They had to pray for the leaders of their day, and we need to pray for the leaders of our day. They needed to give thanks for the opportunities and blessings they had, and we need to give thanks for the opportunities and blessings we have. This is our time, and we need to pray. So we're going to pray. Pray.